0: Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. I'm your host, Shelly Chopra. The series is for healthcare leaders and organizations navigating the journey through value-based care and our ever-changing landscape of healthcare industry. And boy, that could not be more true than the times we're in right now. Our goal in the series is to bring to you disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations leveraging our experience and having worked with some of industry's top experts and thought leaders. And before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and questions that are top of your mind. With that, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Dan Marino, managing partner at Lumina and an industry thought leader for value-based care. Dan, welcome.
1: Hi,
2: Shelley. Happy to be here
0: adaptability, and navigating the unknown. Those two need, seem to be the name of the game as we as healthcare industry navigate the new normal in COVID world. Many organizations are having to look at new models and particularly explore new strategic partnerships, be it with peers, other hospitals, or provider groups. And there seems to be a sense of urgency around it. What are your thoughts, Dan? Are you observing this?
2: Absolutely, Shelly. You know, as as we've been working with organizations around the country, um, spending quite a bit of time talking with CFOs and, and hospital leaders, they're very focused on margin enhancement. And as you know, we've put forth a financial recovery program, which has really helped organizations enhance their revenue, reduce some of their costs, position them for continued success, But one area that is really important is the partnership alignment that is occurring right now through conversations as a means of really helping organizations um, maintain their financial viability, position themselves in an area of strength for their organization, and really to take care of the patients within their community.
0: I still agree with you, Dan, with the need to maintain financial sustainability, the healthcare leaders are really coming up with out-of-the-box thinking on how they can leverage their community resources, community partnerships to really gain new market footprint or even maintain the one they have right now.
2: Well, pre-COVID, there was a lot of pressure on hospitals to perform, perform as they transition into value-based care to reduce their cost position, you know, just to make sure that they maintain their clinical support structure in supporting their community. Post-COVID, it's even more of a challenge with that. And, you know, as we've seen, a lot of these organizations, they just have such financial challenges right now post-COVID that they are really forced to engage in a level of conversations with other partners just to maintain a level of sustainability. And with that, I'm very pleased to introduce our guest for today, Jim Yancey. Jim is a former partner of a national consulting firm and has done tremendous work working with many organizations across the country in forming strategic partnerships, mergers and acquisitions, strategic alignments, and just creating structures that helps position these organizations for success. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Dan. Glad to be here. Jim, a couple of weeks ago, for our firm Lumina Health Partners, You presented a great webinar on strategic partnerships, strategic relationships, and how organizations could really help to consider key things of of forming these types of of partnerships. I was fascinated by that discussion. And in so doing, I thought it would be great if we can talk about a couple of of key points that you addressed in the webinar. If you wouldn't mind, I, I would love to play a portion of that webinar for our guests today as part of our podcast. Before we do that, though, Jim, I, I want to touch on a couple of things. You know, as we start to navigate through this post-COVID, and we're not all the way through it yet, it's, it's really trying to navigate the, the new norm, if, if you will, especially as we start to think about, you know, a potential surge in the fall, as we start to think about positioning ourselves for 2021, what are some of the impact drivers that you're seeing, that you're hearing for organizations as they really start to think about these conversations around strategic partnerships?
1: Probably one of the biggest ones in today's post COVID environment is really this consumer anxiety. Folks are postponing procedures that are elective. Many of the elderly really don't want to go to a healthcare facility. So it's really important to identify how this low volume, which will in turn lead to lower revenues and lower operating margins, how will you be able to counteract that with some new strategies? Yeah, that's an important point
2: because I'll tell you, as- We've been working with organizations across the country. A good portion of the volumes, particularly for elective surgeries, have come back, but they've not come back to pre-COVID type volumes. So I I think maintaining that level of support, that clinical focus, and and even ensuring that trust with the population is going to be important. I think the other piece that I can see too, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is there's a lot of increased competition right now right? You're starting to see a lot of new organizations emerge and sort of take advantage of the disruption in healthcare that we've seen as a result of COVID.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely call those market disruptors as well. I mean, that's everything from private equity coming into a given market, to possibly competing health systems trying to get together for some sort of a public health initiative or something to battle the COVID response, if you will. So there's lots of things that are happening, and I'm fairly certain in every market today there are two, two organizations talking about how they could improve access, improve their services, make things better for both organizations, and trying to define that win-win. You know, the other one is this mandate around telehealth, and you know that was a pre-COVID requirement from some of the things I've been advising my clients on. So those clients are actually a leg up if they have been starting on that? And I guess even managed care in payers, Dan, what, what have you been seeing with that?
0: Yeah, that's a
2: great point. I think both virtual health and the implication of, of telehealth and the delivery of care is, is really key. But, you know, the, the pressures and the changes that are occurring with the payers, I think has also been a big impact of COVID. You know, many folks believe that with COVID occurring and especially the shutdown and reduction of elective uh, procedures and so forth, it sort of showed the limitations of the fee for service like reimbursement structure and contracting structure that we're in. And particularly those, you know, the surgeons of the world, you know, those are the ones that were really hurt. So I can see how organizations through a strategic partnership could really position themselves much stronger in a value-based care world to protect themselves for some of these changes as opposed to what had occurred in reacting to it in a fee-for-service environment.
1: And hey, even three days ago, United announced a cost-sharing update for telehealth services that they cover. So they're also going to start pushing back on some of that cost to the consumer as well. So again, just another way to reduce the, the level of reimbursement that providers are gonna get.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So when you're working with organizations on um, engaging in some of these discussions, I, I can only imagine that um, to begin to align, you know, the, the the leadership with the medical staff, as as well as then you know the board. There's a lot of questions that each of those parties, not to mention you know the patients, would inevitably have on on a strategic partnership. Where do you start? Where do you kind of engage with, with conversations to kind of create that level of alignment?
1: Yeah, I wish it was a linear process, but typically there's a number of things that generally need to get happening at the same time. And first and foremost, hopefully you've got great cost accounting systems that you can look at service lines or some of this um, service offerings that you're in and try and forecast out, will they be insolvent anytime soon? Uh, over the next three to five years? And if it will be, what does that mean? Um, is it a lack of providers and we need to do more recruiting? Um, does another health system maybe have bricks and mortar in a given market and you have providers and you could try and come together to with some sort of an opportunity, right? If you think about the business opportunity, it needs to be a win-win between two organizations looking to partner together And during some of that, you also want to make sure you increase the value of your franchise, basically making it as profitable as it can be by making some performance improvement changes, um, reducing as much cost that you can, and really trying to make yourself attractive to a potential partner, either from a whole facility perspective or within a certain service line.
2: Yeah, so it really is almost thinking about What it means to me, right, from that organization perspective, what's that value of that strategic partnership? That's right. I think identifying that right partner, right, that aligns with what the value drivers are, I think are also key.
1: That's right. And I think you mentioned the medical staff earlier, too. I mean, these decisions will have a physician impact one way or another, whether it's primary care or proceduralists and specialists that you need to make sure you get the support from your medical staff. Um, I've seen things go sideways when physicians did not want to support a potential partnership, and it eventually failed.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jim. You know, I'd like to take a few minutes and play back from our audience a piece of your webinar that you gave a couple weeks back. I thought, Jim, you did a great job talking about some key factors of consideration that organizations need to think about as they move forward with these strategic partnerships. But in particular, you spoke about the different types of partnership models, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. At this point, let's take a few minutes and play a good portion
1: of that for our audience. Dan had mentioned, can you remain independent? We get this question all the time. And we do a lot of of assessments on what the options could be and some financial modeling as it looks at five years, what does it look like. Some other familiar things on here. Value-based care contracting, what impact or benefit could you have by a partnership with either a smaller or a larger player? What are the financial benefits and risks as it relates to this partnership? and how do you model and pro forma those things out? Probably one of the main drivers of understanding the opportunity. What are your internal level of growing financial pressures? How are you performing in the markets? What does your operating margins look like or have they looked like? Are there service line P&Ls that you have the ability to look at contribution margin? And are those losers something that you need to consider not being in the business of or finding a partner to help make that more successful. Economies of scale. Everything from purchasing and supplies to leadership, the opportunity for other resources to come in, whether it be a financial data analytics team that you might not have access to. So a lot of things in economies of scale. Payer contracting is another big one. Keeping access to local care. We talked earlier about some organizations, if their financial bottom line is not very positive, there could be loss of health care in some of the smaller rural markets. And being able to keep care local uh, is something that every board member is interested in doing, um, as long as it's sustainable and you have a partner that can help you figure that out. Your operating margins, what kind of results have they had over the past five to 10 years? Physician recruitment is another large opportunity that I see the smaller community, rural health systems struggle with and how do we get physicians in a given market? So that is something that they tend to help with and within the right structure and the right model. EHR funding, Again, many of us have spent many, many million dollars on Epic and Cerner. You'd be surprised on the level of organizations still going through trying to figure out what they're going to do with their electronic health record and or how they're going to maintain it. And a partnership could be a way to do that. Access to improved clinical services. Are we offering specialty and subspecialty physicians uh, that we couldn't get to our market? And those could be as simple as ENTs. Uh, GI physicians um, sometimes are just very difficult to get in some of the markets. Many of our physical plants are aging. Some of the smaller facilities typically do not have the ability to get access to capital and this could be another opportunity to find a partner to increase the physical plant. So who is this list of possible strategic partner organizations. And believe me, this is just a short list. I mean, there's pretty much limitless partners in a given market. I think we're even seeing more public health kind of partnerships and other organizations coming together in this response to COVID and even competing hospitals and their local public health officials coming together um, to combat this current state that we're in. You know, from, so from providers, you can have hospital partners, many of these different types of outpatient facilities, pain management and imaging and lab, pharmacy could be on that list, uh, other skilled nursing homes, home health agencies, and obviously your physicians. Now there are still a number of hospital physician alignment strategies that can help enhance the service line from, from co-management to hospital efficiency programs, to clinical integration. As it relates to your payers and insurers and how do we create some value-based contracts, many of the organizations uh, manage care, depending on the market, depending on their ability, are interested. They are just as strapped as most of the providers and that certain markets say it's just not a priority for them. And even some of the payers, right? TPAs, third-party administrators and case management opportunities. I had mentioned private equity. Some of the very large, sophisticated health systems are actually doing startup companies with private equity. Um, Their partnerships are to drive funding for their portfolios, right? There's a lot of medical groups that are getting, part of these large private equity driven funds. Urology's been one of them, ENT, uh, imaging centers, uh, ASCs and other health system partnerships. These are just a short list of organizations to consider uh, in, some, in some sort of a partnership. So this graph really shows how much diversity there is. And I always like to say there's 30 uh, flavors of vanilla out there, if you will. And this is not even a comprehensive list. Because if you've seen one partnership model, you've seen one partnership model because local dynamics, local governance, local needs are always going to come into play. The level of of investment on the left to the level integration going out to the right. You'll see the strategic affiliation agreements in blue. Um, Your asset integration is really full integration, if you will. And there are some population health strategies out there as well. A quality alliance, a regional collaborative, a regional CIN, and or even a health insurance product if you want to get into that side of the business. Many of these agreements are contractual, um, which means there is a a legal contract between the organizations or a legal agreement. Um, Those kinds of agreements can also restrict what you can and cannot do from an FTC perspective. Um, And really to get the most integration, the most economy of scale, unfortunately at times, or at least from a health system perspective, it is some sort of financially integrated model, right? The asset purchase is generally how the for-profit organizations will go and acquire everything, right? The beds, the desks, and they pay a certain number. Member substitution we'll talk about here in a moment, which is another way to do that. There's a a deep dive on on some of those models that I was describing. A clinical affiliation, very basic. It could be between like a, a community health system and a regional health organization that provides coverage. Let's just call it orthopedic and they'll supply physicians. They may also supply some other types of equipment as needed. Some of the values there, collaboration of sharing and clinical best practices, helping your footprint grow. A very, very basic model, been around for a very long time. There's quite a, quite a bit of them out there. And most of the reactions I get from these is they're, they're okay, they're interesting, but sometimes don't provide a lot of value. Uh, because they don't really spend the time to put enough meat on the bones. A management services agreement, um, you can basically contract any service that you would want to think about. Um, again, not violating any 501c3 if you're not-for-profit guidelines. But uh, from this perspective, you could, you could have a contract to have another health system manage your entire facility and that could be everything from finance to HR and basically it's a it's a contract between those organizations set forth in a number of things that would be required for each organization there's no financial integration there's separate medical staff separate financials etc so it's just basically a management agreement There might be some language that holds management accountable to a certain operating margin and some language that talks about if they don't meet that criteria. So there's ways there's checks and balances there. Joint ventures think everyone's familiar with a joint venture, two parties coming together to create a new business entity. They've been around for a very long time from imaging centers uh, and surgical centers. We're also seeing some more activity around lab in this space, and how do you create regional labs and or even partner with some of the large lab providers, if you will. Joint operating agreement is one of those interesting, unique ones where organizations agree to coordinate services, but organizations retain fiduciary responsibility and governance on their own. I have seen joint operating agreements uh, for health systems meaning where three hospitals come together under a JOA, that local governance is maintained at the local hospital level. But there is agreement that we're going to run this as an integrated organization. If you would like to consolidate your IT, consolidate your your payer contracting, etc. I've also even done a joint operating service line agreement, whereby two organizations came together to, to take risk and opportunity for growth within a service line. Very sophisticated, complicated kind of agreement with a lot of FTC um, oversight because you're truly not financially integrated. I mentioned the member substitution or a merger. We're seeing this in a lot of the regional health systems where they're not putting an outlay of cash to a potential partner, but both sides understand the value that each brings to the table. Um, there's... Obviously, managed care leverage here, economies of scale here, access to clinical resources. Typically, there is no quote-unquote cash or purchase price. However, there is generally a a capital commitment, and that capital commitment could go to things such as enhancing of the physical plant. It could help to help supplement or put in a new EHR system. So those are the types of economies of scale and full integration. It is at times hard to determine when the right time to go into a strategic partnership would be. I think again, that power of understanding what's going on in your local market, how you're performing internally and where you see the organization going over the next several years are really gonna be the drivers of, of how you're going to do that.
2: Well, Jim, that was great. Again, hearing this for the, the second time, I think this information that you shared around the models, around the approaches, and particularly the examples, really, really useful for organizations as they start to think about their strategic partnerships. For our audience, if anybody's interested in listening to the on-demand webinar or downloading Jim's presentation, please feel free to visit LuminaHP.com slash insights. It's on the Insights page, and you'll see the tab for the Strategic Partnerships webinar. Jim, I, I want to touch on a couple of key things that I think are, are important as kind of the next step. If organizations, um, particularly you know, CEOs or leaders are having these conversations, what are the steps that they really do need to take to advance this? You know, I can imagine there's, there's three or four or five different categories of steps that get them to where they need to go in order to kind of make the strategic partnership a reality. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I typically use a a three-step process with the first one being discover. And this is really an internal look at your organization um, and also an external look into your market. What is your competition doing? What is it a service line you're going to compete with? Who are your competitors in that space? Do some scenario modeling by choosing a couple different models that might be able to work. Making sure your senior leadership team is aligned and supportive of a Discover process so things can get executed on properly. Um, It's one thing to have the strategy and the vision, typically that sits at the CEO or chief strategy officer, but we need our operations folks in line to help us get things done an economic impact analysis, what's that going to look like, as well as making sure you understand any managed care impact um, to either existing contracts or what that might look like in a joint venture scenario. Yeah, it's almost like doing an
2: introspective review of where your organization is and comparing that against what that opportunity would be on the outside. And I would think as you move forward with that discovery phase, as you mentioned it, it positions you really well to kind of ask the right questions as you start to engage a partner.
1: Yeah, that's right. And that's um, typically can do a gap analysis, right? You know, here are the services we have. Here's where we would like to be. What services are we missing? And that can actually help you identify a potential partner based on what it is you would like to offer in the future. And Certain things may be offered only by certain partners, and that's obviously the first few you want to um, have a conversation with.
2: So as you're starting to have these conversations and you run through your due diligence, at what point do you actually say, yeah, we need to move forward with this, or no, we need to continue to, to do further due diligence? I would think you, know, you, could, you could do you know, analysis to death on this right what do they call that analysis by paralysis that's right and never really get yourself to a decision
1: that's right there definitely needs to be go no go um, stop checks both internally and with a potential partner you know some of these are done in the sunshine by doing an RFP process um, some of them are stealth and are backroom conversations because of the confidentiality and the business opportunity at stake So depending on all of those factors, it's gonna really depend on kind of who you talk to and who's going to know what. Um, And once you kind of have a partner identified, that really next step is to develop a joint vision together and begin to develop what it could look like. Everything from contract terms to governance, how are the dollars going to work in a financial ROI, any tax implications, And quite frankly, how does physician alignment tie into this opportunity as you move forward?
2: So as you're kind of working through a lot of the business alignment and understanding what the implications are to kind of the strategic partnership from a business perspective, where does culture alignment come in?
1: Yeah, that's a really important point because I've seen organizations ignore culture and really at the final hour, decide that they're just not the right fit after spending seven figures on legal and business advisement services. So that is very important on in Discover. And through your assessment of potential partners, identifying that right culture that will be both for your organizations and or NUCO is a very, very important point. I guess the other thing to make sure that folks are paying attention to is the exchange of information and where you need to be careful and follow FTC rules. Um, Obviously you're gonna want to have good legal counsel. Um, I've seen organizations start to share information that was just completely sideways that would any kind of commission FTC review would pretty much shut it down. So you need to be careful as it relates to, to that and use uh, third parties to identify some of the business plans, especially if you're doing some financial modeling around managed care.
2: Jen, this has been fantastic. Just a great wealth of information, and, and I, really, I, I truly enjoyed the conversation. In closing for our audience, are there a couple of uh, pieces of advice or maybe success factors you would recommend that as organizations are thinking about strategic partnerships that they have to pay attention to?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a couple for sure. And first and foremost, that you need to create that value proposition and create the value to answer the why. Um, And each organization needs to do that on their own. And hopefully you come together and agree that the future state together will be the right answer. And at the end of the day, you have to trust that partner. Um, if, if you believe that they're malicious or they're just out to steal your referrals or there's just a lack of trust, that's another thing that I've seen go go sideways. So making sure that vision is aligned, making sure it's clear on how governance is going to work. You know, if anything really takes these deals off the rails, it's governance and control and the financial outcomes of that and how cash flows work out so those are some of the the key ones dan
2: well jim i want to thank you for your time today this was great jim this is great i want to thank you for your time today wonderful information if any of our audience members would like to reach out and talk to jim directly he can be reached at the lumina health partners website luminahp.com. at this point shelly i'd like to bring you back in one of the things that really resonated to me as organizations Start to really think about their margin improvements. And you know, as we've talked with different leaders across the country, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And you know, sometimes, you know, to maintain the viability of, of that organization in the community, to ensure that the care is being delivered to the patients in the community. Strategic partnerships may be the only
0: option. Absolutely. And I really appreciated the various considerations, the steps that Jim outlined on how to approach it and not to forget the focus on culture, studying that even in the discovery phase. That's often one of the steps that I feel is missed and has bigger consequences in the very end. So really good information. And as you mentioned, Folks can download the webinar on demand or additional information available in Jim's PowerPoint through LuminaHP.com. We want to thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. We at Lumina are your partners on the journey to value-based care. To learn more about us, visit us at our website, LuminaHB.com. And if you found value in today's conversation, don't forget to subscribe on all major podcast platforms and leave us feedback. Join us again next time where we continue our deep dive into topics that are top of your mind, including success strategies in today's environment of constant change. Until then, have a great day.